Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 88, my interview with a very special person, Miss Jennifer Youngs, who was my very last voice teacher before I went to college, um, helped me prep for college auditions and wrote my letter of recommendation. Um, so I have known her for, I think, about 17 years, which is crazy. In fact, it might be like even a little bit longer. I can't remember when I started taking lessons with her. Um, but, um, I won't spoil the surprise of all of the many times that our paths have, um, intersected in really interesting and weird ways since then, um, in our kind of professional careers. So, um, I'll let you listen and find that part out. But Jenny is a really important person to me, a super important person in my, um, in my career and kind of knew me and believed in me at a time that, um, you know, I don't know that I was like, I don't know that I was all that put together. I mean, I think my technique had some really, really intense problems. I was always a hard worker, as you guys know, if you've listened to me ever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, I'm so grateful to her for, um, yeah, believing in me at that really, really vulnerable time and being a person that I could trust and, um, you know, who really, really helped me and supported me and, and is a huge part of um, how I got to where I am. So I'm super excited to bring you guys this episode. Um, yeah, I think I'll just have a little reminder that um, one thing that I'm working on with the podcast is I, I'd really like to start um, a new like segment where I read um, listener comments. Um, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you have thoughts about, um, you know, anything that we've talked about in this podcast, any particular episodes, anything that, um, you know, a particular guest kind of made you think of, or you have a response to, or you want to share an experience that's, you know, similar or different or, um, you know, whatever, if you have something kind of thoughtful that you think, um, would be a useful and interesting and valuable part of the conversation, shoot me an email. Um, at You can email me at emily at emvocals.com. Um, or you can just go to my website, um, and all of my contact information is there, or you can go on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm very, very easy to get a hold of. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you, and I'll kind of uh, maybe keep mentioning that every couple weeks. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So... Um, I'm going to read you Jenny's bio now. Soprano Jennifer Youngs began her 2019-2020 season with an appearance as Armida in Handel's Rinaldo with the American Baroque Opera Company. Jennifer made her main stage Dallas Opera debut as Olympia in Argento's The Aspirin Papers and was seen in the role of Lorette in the Dallas Opera Outreach production of Bizet's Dr. Miracle. And then Jenny's bio goes on to list many other incredible roles that she's played and different um, solo opportunities and features and incredible groups that she's worked with. You can see all of those in the show notes. Um, moving a bit ahead, um, Jennifer is a champion for living composers and has been featured on recitals with composers Jake Heggie, Tom Cipullo, Dominic Argento, S. Andrew Lloyd, Paul Davis Thomas, Lisa Despain, and Dave Brubeck. Jennifer is also a member of the Grammy-nominated ensemble, the South Dakota Chorale. Jennifer has been nominated for Richard Tucker Foundation Career Grant for A. Richard Tucker 
Foundation Career Grant in New York City. She's the winner of the Lois Alba Aria Competition, winner of the Kansas City District of the Metropolitan Opera Council Auditions, winner of the Concerto Competition at the University of North Texas, and a semifinalist in the Lauren Zachary Vocal Competition, a true opera star. She's amazing. In the fall of 2020, Dr. Youngs joined the faculty of Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Previously, Jennifer was an assistant professor and coordinator of vocal studies at Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. She earned a Doctor of Musical Arts degree in performance and pedagogy, as well as a Master of Music degree in performance and opera from the University of North Texas, and a Bachelor of Music degree in performance from the Conservatory of Music at University of the Pacific. And I hope you guys will go and look at all of the other amazing accomplishments um, of Jenny's, uh, Jennifer. I, she's Jenny to me, um, but I knew her when I was much younger. Um, she's so incredible. And on top of being like a like a true talent, like a, a brilliant, truly brilliant world-class singer she is beautifully open and kind and funny and easygoing and down to earth and as I mentioned before just a really precious person um a valuable um part of my life and just she's really inspiring so I couldn't be more pleased for you guys to get to know her so here comes Jenny great art almost feels like magic it opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Skylar. Skylar is an LA-based clean fragrance brand that uses clean, conscious ingredients to craft beautiful, innovative, and hypoallergenic scents. And all of their products are vegan and cruelty-free, so you can feel good about what you put on your body. I am super sensitive to smells, almost everything gives me a headache, but in the two years I've been wearing Skylar, I have loved it every single day. My fragrance of choice is Willow, but Skylar's best-selling scents are Vanilla Sky and Salt Air, and all of Skylar's fragrances are made to layer, so you can experiment to find the exact combination of scents you love. In addition to gorgeous perfumes, Skylar has lotions, soaps, deodorant, candles, and more. Head to skylar.com slash artifice, that's S-K-Y-L-A-R dot com slash A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E for a 20% discount applied automatically at checkout. Enjoy. All right, very good. That's um, awesome. Well, let's get started. Yeah. Okay, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I love it. I have it. to tell the listener. So I have known Jenny for like 17 years. Yeah, Can I, time. am I allowed to call you Jenny? I mean, yes, I called you Jenny back then. You're so. totally fine. So listen to this listeners. Jenny was my voice teacher when I was getting ready for college auditions. That's right. And then I'll just like give a brief and then we'll tell your whole, we'll like go through your whole story. But then the next time I saw Jenny was like a good 10 years after that. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it can't have been that many. It was a long time it was a long time it was probably six yeah six or seven years yeah and I had I was had just finished my bachelor's degree at North Texas and was starting my master's degree there 
And who do I see walking through the hallways of the music building but Miss Jennifer Youngs um, getting ready to do her master's too. Mm-hmm. And then we were doing our master's at the same time. Yep. And now we're both back in Utah. I'm not back. We're both in Utah. Yeah. Because we were in Arizona. Right. Then we were both in Texas. And then we're both here. Which yeah. is so funny. And strangely I enough, I would not have even known that North Texas existed if it wasn't for you. Really? Because, yeah, because you had originally come up here for school yeah. and didn't like it, wanted to make a change. Yeah. And you had reached out to me and said, hey, can you write a letter of recommendation oh gosh, for this school? That all, but that's amazing. Yeah. You asked me to write a letter of recommendation for you to transfer to North Texas. And I had no idea what the school was. Oh I had no gosh. idea. And my in-laws were living there at the time. And I remember we went and visited uh, for Thanksgiving and happened to drive by the campus. I said, hey, wait, wait a minute. And then a couple of years later, we ended up moving there and I went to school there. Yeah. I mean, the way that our paths have kind of intersected along the way have been very wild to me. So wild. Yeah. Like, I seriously remember like seeing you in the building that day and just being like, what? Hey, (laughs) that was the sweetest thing too. I mean, I I was so new. I didn't know anybody and you come and you have to take all these tests, right? To go back to school. And you were so sweet and just, I don't know if you remember me, but yes, of course. Oh, how it made my day precious. I like, I feel really like I have feelings about it. (laughs) And it was so fun to be there at North Texas doing completely opposite things right and I just loved that you could turn the corner of a hallway and and hear the one o'clock or hear the singers it was amazing and then you would go and turn another corner and hear early music yeah I was the same yeah I was gonna say like it's that kind of like baroque yeah totally so it was so fun to kind of see what you were doing and see um how diverse it could be and yeah it was awesome i'm i loved i loved everything about this experience and i'm so excited <laughs> to catch up today and like get to know more of your backstory yeah. so um this podcast is really like we can talk about kind of whatever you want especially because like we already know each other um i'm so open if there's any stuff that you're just like oh i have been on a soapbox about this thing lately but anything in the realms of like art creativity vulnerability, you know, whatever. Um, but normally what I get started with, with everybody is ask, I ask all my guests, what were you like as a creative child? (laughs) (laughs) This is where we start. Well, um, it's so funny because, um, my family always sang. I mean, we just always sang. We came, I came from a musical family and if you ask my grandmother, I think it was it was highly annoying. Um, oh no! It, not not really, but she she loves to tell the story yeah. that I at three years old would sing Jingle Bells in July. Yeah, you know, just, you just love to sing. Yes. Wait, so the whole family was singing, or you were just kind of singing? Whole family sang. Yeah. Okay. My whole family sang. I mean, it's funny to even tell my children about about some of the experiences that we had. When we went on road trips, we had family songs that we sang the entire time that harmonized yeah. with each other, that, you know, we didn't yeah. have you did. TVs and electronic in our mountains. cars. I love yes. the rolling hills. Yes. Yeah, I we got had, it. Uh, some of you might know the orchestra song where each of you sing a different part of the orchestra. No, I don't know that, but I love I'll that. I'll teach it to you. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll teach it to you later. <laughs> Um, but each 
each kid had their own thing. And Wait, is it the one that's like the clarinet? Yes. The... Okay, so I that's only it. know it from You've Got Mail. Yes, yes. <laughs> when it came um, on that movie, I said, that's, like, that's our song. That's our song. Do you do the one that's like, I like to take my horse and buggy? We never knew that part of it. Oh, so because that one's us... that cool little round, yes. little counterpoint thing. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we sang all the time. My parents cool. sang and, um, it just kind of went from there. I'm really appreciative. My parents, um, my dad in particular came from a musical family. His mother was offered a full ride scholarship to Juilliard for voice wow. in the forties and she didn't take it. Oh my gosh. So there was a lot of this, um, there was a history there yeah. for sure. And I'm just the kooky one in the family that actually kind of went kept going it. with it. Yeah. So we had a lot of a lot of musical experiences when we were children. Where um, are you in the like birth order? I am the middle of three girls. Okay. Yeah. So cool. um, yeah, we're really close in age and and really good friends. And, and so was yeah. the was the was there opera in your childhood? Um, so my grandmother did sing opera, right. um, in the forties and, um, um, like I said, had been offered that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so it was always kind of there, but not in the way that if, if you talk to a lot of opera singers, they come to this, they yeah. come to our genre because they have, um, parents that loved it or yeah. there, there is some kind of connection. I had a little bit of exposure um, to it, but not a lot, yeah. not a lot. Well, that's more what I would actually assume. I, I actually, I'm surprised to hear you say that you hear that people come to it because their families love it. Cause I feel like the thing that I think happens is like, we love singing Broadway or, you know, whatever. Yes. And then you get in, you start working with a voice teacher and start working on classical music and then find a love that way. It was a little bit like that, but there were also were times um, really early on um, at church we were doing um, we were doing a version of the Messiah, and right. my mother was asked to learn and sing "O Thou That Tellest." Okay. I was seven years old, yeah. and so she was learning it around the house, yeah. and just being a child that has big ears. Totally. I learned it with her. Yeah. And so when we went to rehearsals there, the legend goes, I don't remember it quite like this, but the legend in my family is that when my mother started in on the aria, I just sang it with her Oh my gosh! Uh, to I the point where the conductor, so <laughs> the conductor said, let me hear the kid. Like, <laughs> and it was, I don't, I don't know any better. You so just I, were happy. You just yeah. loved it. Yeah. What does this, um, I was a child with big ears, like, what does that mean to you? I think it was just, um, I, I have a really, I have a really fast ear. And I think that coming from, um, coming from a place where music kind of is a first language, yeah, that singing was always a part of what I did. And my parents actually recognized that and delayed when I started um, take both taking lessons and being in choir okay. and had me play cello first. Interesting. So ironically for years, I couldn't read the treble clef. I could only read oh, the bass clef. Wow. And when I would do auditions and do sight reading, I would sight read the, 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 the guy part. The guy part. Yeah. Um, so 
it took a long time, but my parents told me later, they said, we always knew that you could sing in the minute that we would let you loose on that. You'd be fine. Yeah. But we wanted you to be able to read music. That's so interesting that they had that kind of foresight. They did. They really did. I have more questions about this. So, you know, I think a lot as a teacher of young people about which things are kind of, you know, need to be led by the child, which things, you know, maybe the parents need to be kind of thinking about. And there's no perfect answer, right. but it's the way you're telling me this, it sounds like your parents had an idea that maybe you would want to pursue music. Is that is that accurate? I think so. From it the was, time you were pretty little. From the time I was little, I mean, they definitely saw and recognized that I liked to sing. Yeah. Um, and that I had... I had some talent there. Yeah. Um, But I do appreciate that they had different ideas about when to kind of introduce that. I often wonder too, if it's one of those things that if you withhold something, the child wants it more. Yeah. Because I remember seeing the choirs in junior high and remember thinking, oh gosh, I want to do that. Oh my gosh, you didn't do choir even into junior high. Mm -hmm. I started when I was a freshman. Wow. My parents said at the school that I was particularly at, the junior high was doing a lot of a lot of show choir pop and things like that. Didn't want you to get like tainted by it. Not or tainted necessarily, but they really they really knew the value of yeah. a really solid foundation. Totally. And so, when we did move to Arizona, okay, um, that was when my parents kind of the got choir the vibe. stuff is really serious. Yes, there. it's really serious. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So anyway, oh, so that's when they said, yeah, let, let her loose. And I'll tell you a fun story. Um, that first year that I was in choir, we get to the spring semester and they're solo and ensemble. Yeah. And um, my choir director at the time, I didn't have a teacher. My choir director at the time, um, you know, he's helping students pick out something from the 24 Italian yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, songs and arias or whatever. And I learned the song that he assigned me really fast and came back and sang it. And he kind of looked at me funny and said, can I assign you something else? Do you want to try something else? Yeah. And in the strangest, wackiest stroke of inspiration or genius, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth. He assigned me um, Handel's Let the Bright Seraphim, which I today would not assign until students are grad students yeah, pretty yeah. much it's really difficult it's really hard and he assigned it to me at 14 wow. and gave me a recording of Kathleen Battle Kathleen Battle and Wynton Marsalis playing wow. it wow and once again those big ears yeah. just absorbed soaked it right up soaked yeah. it right up and I went into the competition at 14 and the judges are not really supposed to talk to you afterwards yeah. it's they just give you your score and they go well it turned out that my teacher's, um, my teacher's own voice teacher from ASU was the judge. And so he asked oh. if he could step in and sit in and listen. Yeah. And after I sang it, the, the lady looked at me and said, is your mom or dad here? Oh my gosh. And I said, well, yeah, my mom's right outside yeah. if you want to talk to her. So I brought my mom in and this professor at ASU just looked at my mother and said, I've been teaching at the collegiate level for 20, 25 years and I've never heard anything like this in my life. <gasps> oh she my said, gosh. you need to get your daughter a teacher and you need to get her a really good one. Yeah. And it was, I can even pinpoint it to that day almost. We were driving home and my mom and I just talked about 
how special that was and how unique that was. That's huge. I knew from that day that that was what I was supposed to do in college. I knew that that was what I was supposed to, I kind of always knew, but to have some, have that kind of reassurance and feedback, it was huge. Yeah. It was huge. So to the the credit of that choir teacher, he helped to find me some money and I started voice lessons with a really fantastic teacher there in Arizona. Wow. The rest is kind of history. Oh my gosh. Okay, so one thing that I get so obsessed with is like, you know, when I talk to artists who, like when I talk to adults who have managed to keep the arts or keep creativity as a main focus of their lives, I'm I'm so fascinated by the twists and turns in our various stories. Oh my goodness, yes. And I get really troubled and obsessed a little bit with like... <laughs> how we can not miss things like with, with young people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So like I'm thinking about your story and thinking about all these specific, like all these things, like you're first of all, like you were exposed to things young. Second of all, like you had parents who didn't squash it. You know, they didn't tease you. Um, Oh, there was teasing. Don't, uh, (laughs) I just mean like not shaming. It's true. Yeah. No, it's really true. And, um, I think that's, I think that's really special. The, the other thing that was really so fascinating to me is that there's such, there's been such generosity shown to me along the way, whether from that specific choir director, you know, that helped me to find a teacher. Or that teacher who popped out to talk to your mom. Yes. Yes. Really big. Yeah. Kind of broke the rules to do so. Yeah. Because you know, they thought be... like, this is really valuable. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like your parents kind of having this thought of like, she's going to need to know how to read music later. Yes. Like that is so. Or to listen weird. to other voices, you yeah. know, listen to other, uh, you know, playing cello. That's, that's going to be such a dramatic. Right. Teach you how to hear. Yeah. You said, when you say other voices, you mean other sounds. Sounds, yeah. instruments, instruments, harmonization. Yeah. What, all totally. That, to like uh, be able know. to hear outside of your mm-hmm. own head mm-hmm. yes i think that's so important for singers particularly yeah, totally. and we we sometimes get blinders on super tunnel vision yes. i talk about that with my students all the time all the time you have to have yeah. you know you have to have those ears open and really yeah especially for a soprano i've started to really feel how invaluable it is to be listening to the bass and yeah. be listening to that opposite to ground yourself to t- and to tune and with to it tune yeah everything yeah i sing i'm not like a soprano but i i always sing soprano and jazz choir right. situations um just because of kind of like the way that my timbre is it like works well it works. there yes it does. yeah as that kind of pingy like uh laser beam yes. trumpet sound um and that's something that like i always found in that situation too like being able to tune with the bass it's a stretch for your ears because you're totally right we do get like when you're on the top it's of the spectrum it's easy to kind of just keep your ears there <laughs> It's the truth. Well, the other thing that also happens is that oftentimes if you're trying to tune to an instrument that is in the same range as you, it's almost impossible. Yeah. That was never more apparent there. I was singing Lucia where in the final act, she has a 15 minute mad scene where she has to sing just by herself. Cool. It's really fun. It's really fun. But there is a really famous section of that scene where you are only singing with the flute from the pit. Crazy. And you are imitating each other. Yeah. You also oftentimes sing in thirds and things like it's that. It's like an aural trip. It is. Well, yeah. it was a trip and it was so 
eye-opening to me to realize that, especially when you've got somebody who's in the pit watching the conductor, while the conductor's trying to keep you on with that flautist, I could not hear the flute at all because oh we gosh. were in the same. Right, we're in the same. It's like tessitura. it disappears. Yeah, like you t- you totally kind of soak up the same sound waves. Totally, and that I think is when I really learned how much I relied on the celli, the basses, yeah. you know, low brass things like that, where I would listen wow. and tune to them. Yeah, um, it was when suddenly I had to rely on the conductor because we couldn't. Obviously, we couldn't see each other, but we could not hear each other in the same tessitura. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, people don't think about that kind of stuff, but anyone who's been a musician is like, yeah, that's what it all is. Like, that's (laughs) the entire, like that type of thing is the entire, like I, I do um, these recitals with my students where I I hire a band and have them perform with the band. That's so special. It is, but they they don't, most of them don't understand like how valuable it is, Mm -mm. but they'll say like, you know, after the concert, they'll kind of complain like, well, I couldn't hear myself. And I'm like, exactly. Ding, ding, ding. Like, like, well, I would have done a good job if I could hear myself. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you think this is? Like, yeah. this is what it is. Like, I'm giving you this opportunity to practice because like, this is what this job is. That's right. This That's is what right. it's like. Like, yeah, I can't hear myself. Like, that is the thing. <laughs> That is like the thing yep. we do. That's right. <laughs> and it's and so to, ridiculous. And to really think about that collaborative spirit and yes, to working with others. And totally. Are you supposed to hear yourself all the time? Right. <laughs> right. Are, are you like, the center of all things? You know? What I so. always say is like, you can hear a whole lot. Like, it's true. You can hear everything. Because they'll say like, I can't hear anything. And it's like, no, no, no. For the first time maybe ever, you're hearing everything. That's very true. Yeah. You make a really good point there. Yeah. And yeah. you have to kind of learn to like train your ears in a Mm -hmm. different way, which is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So do you have thoughts about this? Like, what are your thoughts about this, this thing that I'm troubled by of like, how do we not, how do we make the right decisions for like those cues? Yeah. Um, I, I always tell, well, I always tell young singers that everybody's path is so different. Sometimes we think that there's a formula in order to have a career in this. Right. And in opera particularly, it kind of looks like you do your undergrad, you do a master's program, you go and do a young artist program, and then maybe you'll have a career. It takes a long time. It's so funny. Yes, I check some of those boxes, but a lot of the boxes that people think that you kind of have to have together to have a, an yeah. opera career, I do not check. Yeah. Um, I stepped away from music, not not totally. I taught private lessons, but yeah. um, we moved around a lot, my husband and I, while we were raising our children. And from the time that I graduated from my undergrad in 2002 to almost 2008, 2009, I did not sing professionally at all. Yeah, I was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Um, my husband and I, we have four children. And I stayed home. And yeah. I knew that that was exactly the right thing to do. Um, at, at the time, but where so many of my friends and colleagues were kind of pounding the pavement in their twenties, I was, I was out, I I was totally out. And so I usually try to tell, I usually try to tell people to make sure that they are following the path that they need to follow. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you might have a monstrous career in the, in the one thing that you think you should have. Yes. Um, 
I always tell my students for as many beautiful projects that I get to be a part of, I do not make my living with my voice. Right. I don't. Yeah. And I have a lot of support. My husband works really hard. Um, I have the university position and I love teaching. Yeah. Um, but I also, I also get to sing some, but I think that there's, um, I think that there's a misconception, particularly amongst my students that I, I make my living singing. There are some people that really do have that option and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I also watch them really struggle right now because of COVID and totally all of their gigs are canceled. Having a diversification of income is, is sometimes it's stability in our profession. No joke. No joke. So I think as far as when, um, I think it's so important at that junior high, high school age to let young people explore, see yeah, what they like. I think so too. Because the passion has to come from them. Totally. It really does have to. Yes. As a parent, I think that we can help them to find resiliency, stick to it of this, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. those things, you know, when you say, Hey, have you done your practicing? You right. know, things like that. I couldn't agree more, but I think that there has to be a balance and, and you, you know, this, you know, this, our industry is so difficult. The yeah. degrees are really demanding yeah. and the time commitment is so demanding. It's crazy. Yes. That if, if that passion is not coming from you, you will wash out. Totally. And I also tell students, if you do wash out, that's okay. I'd say the same thing. That is okay. Well, it, I, I love these answers that you're giving. And, and it's a big part of the reason why there are so many reasons why I wanted to start this podcast you know, when depending on the day, I'm like, it was totally this. And then another day, I'm like, I was also thinking about this. And it's been almost two years now. So I'm, I have some, have had some time to reflect on it. But one of the things is I just found as a professional artist, people had no idea what my life was like. None. People had no idea how I got to where I was. People had extreme misconceptions about, uh, yeah, everything leading up to it. And then the reality of it. And I think that's a bummer because when people don't understand what we do as artists, they can't appreciate it or support it or whatever. And it's, it's, I would see parents of my students like really leading their kids astray with their like weird assumptions. Really? Um, yeah. Like they would, they just would have assumptions about things that my student, I would ask my student a question and they would be like, well, my mom said this. And I'd be like, what? Like, why does she think that? Or like, you know, where is this coming from? And one thing that I think I wish more people knew is exactly what you said. Like, there's not one path. No. And and you really have to take the creative uh, stuff of the individual into account. So there's a million different ways to be a singer. And you and I are both professional singers and we do really different things. Really different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that stuff matters. And yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, too, about like... If you try to push a child too much, you could ruin the thing that they've got. I agree. And if you don't push them enough, that could also... Because I, sometimes I have students who are motivated and the the lack of the, the lack of accountability from the parent, like, it, it goes beyond, like, we're not supporting you. It's kind of like there's a sabotage there. Like, oh, wow. not on purpose, I yeah. think, but just like, you know, well... I can't do this performance because my aunt's coming over for dinner. Oh, wow. You know, I see that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. That I'm just like, reschedule it. 
you know what I mean? Like she's not from out of town, right? Reschedule it. Yeah. Like just stuff like that, that I just think like this stuff matters potentially to your child's entire future, you know? It can. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For um, sure. I wanted to talk about kind of one other thing before this like revelation when you're 14. What do you like? Can you tell me? Do you remember what it felt like in your mind and your body as a child? Like what things maybe you think were somewhat unique about you? Like, can you describe kind of like <laughs> I have what always, it looked like from your eyes? Yeah, I've always been a really outgoing person. Yeah. There was always something about my voice that was particularly resonant or loud um, okay. from the time I was little. Um, my parents also put me in tap dance. I love tap dance. I tap dance from when I was three till the one I was 12. And I was always put into the advanced class, you yeah. know. And I always thought that it was because of my tap dancing skill. And it wasn't until I was an adult that my parents said, no, they just needed a loud singer for the show tunes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so from the time I was little, there was... I'm like, I'm an amazing tap dancer. <laughs> wait a minute. I've been duped. But um, yeah, (laughs) that was such a funny story. But um, uh, I just, I always had this, um, I always had this quality to my voice that was just loud. And I loved people and I was outgoing. And so I just that kind of I think probably exacerbated it. But my mother tells me that it was probably in kindergarten or the first grade, but the teacher sent home a note that said, Jenny does not possess an inside voice. And so anytime we were trying to do group projects and I was trying to be so quiet and I just couldn't. And I used to get in trouble. Like the one thing I got in trouble for in elementary school was like laughing too much. Yes. Yeah. I I was always getting a giggle fit. Oh man. I've actually, even my poor laugh is so resonant that over the years (laughs) I have had to taper it. Yeah. You have to kind of adjust your laugh to like, (laughs) so there's no voice in it at all. (laughs) Who thinks about that? Who thinks about like, I cannot really truly belly laugh because it's so resonant and it's just ridiculous. Yes. That's so funny. I I would love it. I love laughs. Oh, it's just such a cackle. It's just such a cackle about it, but... But yeah, I, I, there was always something You about... had some exuberance that yes. was just like built in. Yes. And then it sounds like you also had like a bit of a, like just an appreciation. Like it sounds like you were just listening. Like yeah. you were kind of soaking things in, in a way that maybe was a little built in. Well, I think so. And I think along the way, it just kind of became a thing that I, I loved musical theater. I loved choir. Yeah. I love all these things. And as I started taking lessons and having that natural resonance and things like that, um, uh, it, classical music just felt good to my body. Yeah. I was not told that I had to be quiet anymore. Mm. I was not told that I had to blend anymore. And when I go and do master classes with high schools, I usually ask the choir or whatnot, all right, who sticks out? Who's the person? And everyone will point at one person or two people that they'll rat out kind of a thing. And I look right at them and I tell them, I want you to know that now I am paid not to blend. Yeah. I am paid not to try, you know, it's not that you're hiding, you're trying to do it for the good of the ensemble. And I totally get that, but it's just a different art form. It is. That is something that I actually think about a lot. Like, 
you know, a lot of my guests will say something at some point in the conversation to the extent of like, you have to do what you can do. It's true. You have to do what you do. And I really believe that. Um, it's taken me maybe longer than some people to kind of like feel okay about it. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I really do think that's true. And I think there's also like a real art of like that blend you know, and for people who are really, really good at that, like that is an art too. It really is. It um, really is. Yeah. That kind of like a tune, like that really, I mean, like I think jazz, jazz vocal ensembles are like where that kind of skill really comes into play. Cause you're tuning like weird, weird things. Completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. And that can be a skill that you can also build a career on. It's know? really true. Yeah. It's really true. So yeah, once again, kind of that idea that there's different paths. Yeah. And once you find out what you're really good at and what, for us, what our voice is good at. Yeah. I love that when, in my own teaching experience of helping students to find that. Maybe really past cool. they didn't even know, whether it's maybe early music. New yeah. music is one of my big passions right now, working with living composers and cool. things like that. And and finding... I've what do also, you not even know that you love? It, they might not even yeah. know that it exists. It exists, yeah. And so, I have a similar passion with my students because I felt oh, I that way that. about jazz and I didn't know anything about jazz until I was like 17. right. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I had someone at some point in my life be like, this is an option. And my yep. voice is really comfortable in that like laser beam moving like a keyboard kind of a way. Right, exactly. Um, and my voice is not that comfortable in classical singing. Yeah, and mine is, you know, mine is vice versa, Yeah, you know. And it's just not asked of, of us very often to be like that. And yeah, I still think it's really good. And I love working with crossover music with yeah. my students. I think it's so good for them. If anything, to give them a, an appreciation of what somebody else is really good at. Right, yes. I love that. I yeah. love to say... I love to say, okay, you're going to try this and see what kind of work they have to do totally. to make that sound easy to them. I love that. I love that concept. Mm-hmm. I feel strongly about that as well. Like stepping into someone else's shoes for mm-hmm. a little bit. And, yeah. So you yeah. can appreciate it because mm-hmm. it is really easy to judge other people based on what you are good or not good at. Absolutely. Um, I see it happen a lot and it's, that is something that I think I... I think because of my particular path, like it took me a really long time to find a place I was comfy. And so I, like I had it the other way where I was always feeling judged based on what other people were good at, you know? Oh, really? And then kind of realizing like, oh, that actually sounded easy for them. Cause like, partly because like they're suited for it. Yeah. You know? And like, it's not that there's not a ton of work, but I could put in all that work and like, maybe I'm just not quite suited for it it might be that I also I love to point out to my students if we are working on classical music that requires melismatic passages Handel, Bach you know that really needs flexibility in the voice I always try to connect that with maybe pop singers like Beyonce or Mariah um, Carey Carey. old school Mariah I know right old school Mariah or um um those those artists that have such flexibility and truthfully the riffs that they do are no different than the right. melismatic passages of the baroque right. or something like that 
And I look at them and say, do you think that they rolled out of bed and knew how to do this? Right, right, right. I think that some of their voices are really flexible, you know, and they they do have kind of a predisposition to be able to do that. But in any way, do you think that they have not been working on that and honing that and polishing that for years? Totally. For years. It wasn't until at, at UNT, while I was working on my master's, one of the things that we got to do as teaching fellows is we got to teach some of the jazzers. Cool. And do you remember when they I had took, to take classical yeah. voice? Yeah. I, I took lessons from an opera singer when I was first starting there, and it was some of the most valuable lessons oh, of so my life. So yeah. It was so eye-opening to me. I learned so much from having those students. And when it, one day, one of the students came and talked to me about the... Um, was it the ice classes yeah. that you had to take? It's the, a test. It yeah. was so crazy. Yeah. So crazy. So the in, like the improv, improv co- comprehensive exam or something. Oh, so that would have just given me heart palpitations. It, it's still, I mean, like, yeah, it's giving me some <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, one of the things that this student, this really lovely jazz singer had said and talked to me about what the requirements are for that class yeah. and what they needed to do. And she told me, she says, you find out really quickly what your voice is good at. Yeah. And then you put it in every key. Yeah. And then you take those little, almost like building blocks and string them together. Yep. That's how I teach melismas too. I was so floored. I was so floored because it sounds so... It sounds so spontaneous to yeah. me. It sounds but it's like so t- freaking technical. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Yeah. Oh and I just sat there. I probably sat there with my jaw open because she just said, and she even demonstrated to me, oh, I can sing this, you know, whatever she did. Yeah. And then she says, I sing this, this type of lick really well. And then I put it together. Yeah. And then it sounds really complex. Yep. Totally. And I love that. It. To be able to break it down like that and to be able... That's such a jazz... That's such a jazz mindset. Is that so funny? But my students as classical singers think that that completely comes from the ether. Do you know what I mean? Totally. They have no idea the amount of work and thoughtfulness and, you know, so introducing that to them and telling them... Be patient and be kind with yourself as you're trying to learn this because right. you're putting yourself up against someone who has broken this apart to the minutia yeah. and has perfected it yeah. over several years. No, I kind of jokingly, I kind of will tease my students a little bit if they say any, if they ever say something to me like, you know, they're complaining that they're just not good at it or something. And I'll be like, how dare you think <laughs> that after one week... <laughs> you'll be good at this. Really? (laughs) How dare you? Like, how dare you? Um, And then, you know, of course they chill out and then they realize like, oh, that is ridiculous for me to think that. But you're right. When we, I mean, I think all of our art professions are kind of like this. We are supposed to make it look easy. That's like the task. That's our job. Yeah. And then it really wakes people out to realize that it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I remember I had a conversation with someone when I first moved to Utah. I just finished my master's and I was do I was playing a gig with someone who doesn't live here anymore. So I'm, you know, if anyone's trying to guess, he's not <laughs> here. But um, I was playing a gig with someone who was being really rude and kind of really? a jerk, a kind of misogynistic. And he said something to me like, I forget exactly how it happened, but he was basically saying like, 
well, why did you get a master's degree? That's such a waste, you know? And then I was singing and he was like, you sound really good. And I was like, it's because of that master's degree. And he was like, no, no, no. Like, that's just the kind of thing you just have or you don't have. And I was like, no, it's the master's degree. Like, I mean, maybe some, like, it's not necessarily that it's the degree, but it's the work. Like, no, I have proof. Like I could play your recordings from before and after and like that time period was the difference. My students want to hear that all the time. They want to know what I sounded like in high school. They want to know. They want to know what, um, you know, I don't know what it is if they just want to see that trajectory. Well, I think people want, I think I have a theory about this. I think people like a Cinderella story, like that you were just good at it. Like it just, they, they like this, they like this idea that you just like are gifted, um, I think that is real a romantic idea. I love, yeah, well, I agree with that. It's partly because yeah. it's partly because it lets maybe them off the hook. Like I kind of think that if you can look at someone who's way better than you at something and tell yourself that they just had it, you yes. don't have to like feel in your gut how hard it was for them to get there. That's true. That's what I think it is. That's true. Like it's hard for people to go like, oh well surely they didn't actually practice five hours a day, <laughs> you know? And then you're like, no, but I really did yeah. for 10 years, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, well, and when you have it kind of in that undergrad experience and you are just, you're probably in double the in amount it? of, yeah, yes. you're in double the classes than a normal, you hear you know, bebop student. in your sleep. Oh man. <laughs> I don't, I didn't hear that, but there was definitely you other things. Puccini in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I, my roommate in, in my undergrad one time, we had a music history test that was coming up and she said, you in your sleep were talking about these manuscripts that had dolphins on them. Oh, <laughs> you're like, like obsessed. I know. Just if oh. your subconscious is trying to work out, yeah. Yeah. you know, how well, much Well, that semester that I was prepping for the ice, I heard bebop in my sleep Did every you really? night. I mean, really? Like, I'm not kidding. Like, it was like, my dreams were like spinning with Charlie Parker. <laughs> Charlie Parker. <laughs> like it's not a joke like it, i was practicing it all day until right when i went to bed and then all night my brain was like sharp five that is how <laughs> that's how my brain works right before i have to do a big show yeah um it, yeah when you start walking around walmart singing under your breath in italian i mean it is like that though it's it, obsessive well i think not only obsessive but there's just so much that we have to retain yeah. and to give our brain I think that's what I mean like it I think so you have to yeah in order to kind of like retain all of it process all of yes. it really internalize it especially if you're also acting yes which you are like yeah it has to be it's it's like it's the opera singer's version of method acting right? I agree like you, it's like it's in there all the time do you ever get to the point where it's almost you get frustrated that you want your brain to turn off and it won't I mean yes <laughs> <laughs> because you go to bed with it, it yeah. running in your or brain or rather you don't go to bed or that because you just like yes. you're just do yeah. you ever do you oh, see for us, memorization, I actually think that this is becoming a lost art. There's so much resource and mm-hmm. we have so much. Even the idea that if I needed to, I could look up any date in, in, in history in my pocket, you know, on yeah. our smartphones. Yeah. So I always tell my students when they're frustrated about memorizing things, I said, your brain is not trained to memorize anything anymore. Mm-hmm. 
it, we have anything that we need mm-hmm. to know in our pocket. And so just be really, really calm and really, really patient with yourself. But yeah. I have to tell myself that too, because have you ever, I've just been lying in bed and there's a one passage you can't remember. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you have to get up and you have to look at your yeah. score and then before you can sleep. Totally. And, yes. And, and totally. there's also something really comforting because in the morning, usually if I wake up and can sing through the entire section, aria, whatever I need to do. And if I can lay there in bed and it's all there, then I know it is there. Totally. And, totally. but there are times, there are times like, can I think of something else? Yeah. <laughs> can well, it's I funny that you brought else? that up. Cause I say that to my students when they say like, I can't memorize. I, I tell them like, go through it in your brain all day, all day, all day long. Yep. And, and like, if you forget, then at least when you're going to sleep, think through it in real time, you can mouth it, you can hum it, or you can just think it like think through it in real time all the way through. And like, they just don't do Nuh-uh. it, but that is like, cause you're so right. I, I also am a fast memorizer. I, t- I tend to memorize quickly. And- I used to be not anymore. But you learn, but you got those ears. You learn quickly. But I I memorize really fast because I I'm doing these like cover band gigs where I have to sing for like, you know, four hours. Exactly. And, um, you know, and, and there's, there's like, there's like 90% memorized and there's a hundred percent memorized. I don't need to be a hundred percent really, you know, like I need to know it pretty well, but I can definitely look and be like, which verse am I on? Um, and especially that 90% memorization, like give me the song two times. Wow. And, but I mean, these are pop songs. They're oh, not. That's true. And they're in English. I'm th- I know. I was like, yeah, it's we're not thinking the same. language. We're thinking it's not the same. Style. Um, we're thinking but what century still, am I You in? know, like if I'm learning like, you know, something in Portuguese and maybe it's like mm-hmm. a really complicated thing, I can still memorize it faster than I think some people. But you have to have strategies for it. Absolutely. You can't just try to start from the beginning and just go. Yep. Like you've got to kind of, and you're right, like memorization is not it's, it's a skill and it's, and it's, you need strategies. Yeah. And you're right that we, it's also really, I, I also really think it's invaluable to be honest with your students about what your strategies are. Totally. That this does not come overnight. And these are the things that I do. Yeah. I walk around with a note card. I have, um, 50 cent notebooks that I buy at the beginning of the school year when they're cheap and, yeah. And I write my text over and over and over. And so I do something physical and then I go and, and practice actually put time on the voice. Getting the muscle memory. Yes. But a lot of my students don't understand my final, my final step in memorization is staging. There is something so wonderful. Yes. There's something so wonderful about I go here and I say this to you. Right. And I'm And that going solidifies here. it in. I do yeah. the same thing with my students. Like specifically when I'm helping my students prepare Broadway pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you don't get to like wing all of that no. later. And if you think you have it memorized when you're sitting still, like it will go away as soon as you move your body. Completely. Because <laughs> that's another thing. So you have to memorize like where do you look at this half of the audience and mm-hmm. where do you lift your eyes up and where do you move your arms? You know, not that it needs to be stiff, but like that is for sure part of the memorization. For sure. And I think that you can back that up and letting your students know that if you've memorized the text, 
that doesn't have to be quite as stiff because your movement and your gesture will come from what you're saying. Yeah. And right. so you can respond in real time. You really can. And you can be more honest about how that's you're responding. That's why I always tell people that, that right there, that thing you, we just said, that's the intersection between jazz and like theater. Really? I think cause it's improv. Oh. I mean that, that, that true, like I know the text and I know the piece and then I can I can respond in real time yes. to the storytelling. I think like that little moment is where like all jazz kind of lives. And that's like that's I I tell my students who aren't really interested in jazz, and most of my students aren't. Um, most of my students want to sing pop or Broadway. Sure. Um, just because jazz is niche and whatever, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> um but I make all my students work on jazz and I tell them like you it doesn't matter if you don't want to sing this music we're working on your brain absolutely and we're teaching your brain how to do something that will be really invaluable to you in these other genres well and i i really in my own teaching started to use the word marketable a lot yeah. and when you're learning other genres you're learning other skills totally. it makes you more marketable yeah if you just get in that in that tunnel where you think that i'm only going to sing classical music um what a privilege that would be. Yeah. But we, most of us, probably 95% of us won't, won't right. have that. Right. Um, in the same so. way that most of us don't get to only sing our songs that we sing on piano and exactly. play. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I wanted to ask you, so we've talked, we talked about all these things in your youth that kind of came somewhat naturally, not that you weren't working on the cello, but the, you know, these kind of natural things that you had this exuberance and these big ears mm -hmm. and this resonant voice. Um, I'm assuming that after that experience, when you're 14, you had to start working on some stuff that wasn't natural. Sure. Um, do you want to talk about like what it was like to start really putting in like work? I think the biggest one, and I still work on this is language. Yeah. When as a classical singer, you're required to sing in obviously English, but Italian, French, German, and, and at all least sorts, at those. Least. For. Sometimes yeah. Russian. I just agreed to sing Korean art songs at the end of February, and that's a first cool. for me. Yeah. Um, so language is such a necessity of what we do, and that does not come easy to me. Yeah. Um, I also have this idea that I never would want to offend in someone's native language. Yeah. There's something in the back of my head that says there's going to be a native French speaker and they are going to find me offensive. Yeah. I think that's, now I kind of think that's ridiculous, but that really was Just a fear. You want to be respectful. Absolutely. Is, yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, the other thing that I find fascinating, and I love this, and I still am growing and learning, is learning what the characteristics are of that music, depending on the time right. period that it comes from. Right. So you have to know how the voice is going to operate if you're singing Handel versus Puccini. That's something that always impresses me about opera singers. Yeah. I, I feel very taken with like that type of versatility. Uh, and it's, and really it's cool. required. Yeah. I mean, it's just required of you to be really sharp. And yeah. You got to do the Wagner thing. And then also that like really like that, the opera version of the laser beam. It's true. Yeah. And, you know, I really advocate for that. As you get higher up in the echelons, you know, and as you're, as you're progressing more, oftentimes we do get put into a category that your voice is going to be really suited to do this. 
But until you get there and until you really know what your voice does, then yeah, you should really explore and see what all, all types of things that your yeah. voice should be able to do right. and what kind of skill it can build. Yeah. It just makes you a better musician. Totally. Because you're, you will have conductors. Hey, can you sing it like this? Right. And when you can say, yeah, yeah, I can. I've been talking about that with my UVU students a lot this semester. Really? Like, cause a lot of them are like, they want to be studio singers. You know, they're, 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 they, they're taking production classes and songwriting oh. classes and it's less of a performance degree. But it's like, even if you don't want to have a performing career, like the ways that you're going to be able to make money will often be like, you're a produce, you're in, you're being produced. And if someone says to you, like, do this lick this way, like you need to be able to do it. You need to be able to switch it really fast because time is money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can't be like, kind of like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, so I've been trying to work with my students on some of those, like those minutia kinds of things, like the difference between like this little trill and like this other little thing. And you, you've got to be able to hear the difference and execute the difference. Mm-hmm. The difference between this 16th note and that 16th note. Well, you bring up a great point just about trills. And there is a way that you are should trill in the Baroque. And 50 years later, you trill a different way. Right. Yeah. You know, the direction of the where, which way you trill, how you trill. You can't like just that. kind of approximate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just be like, eh, a trill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once again, if you don't know those things and incorporate those things, it it is really difficult to get hired. Right. You know, so you have to exhibit and you have to show that you are versatile and can sing yeah. those things. It's such a, it's such a weird balance. Cause we also are told like, figure out what you're really good at, like really develop, mm-hmm. you know, your expertise. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fine, it's a fine balance. It is. But there's a joy in that. I think. Yeah. I think so too. I, I find a lot of joy in it. Yeah. Um, it, I, I also tell students too, if you don't find joy in that minutia, if you don't find joy in that, it's, it's okay to look for something else. I was going to say that earlier cause you, you said something like that earlier as well. And mm-hmm. I think like, yes, there are so many layers of this. Like, yes. I mean, even I like, you know, I have a master's degree from, you know, one of the top jazz schools in the country or in the, in the world and, and maybe the top, depending on your instrument or right. the decade you're there or, you know, That's whatever. Very true. <laughs> um, and, and I don't feel like a jazzer, you know, like right. I don't, I don't do that bebop language. Like I did it that semester. I had to take the ice. <laughs> and then I was like, how about bye? <laughs> How about no thanks to bebop from now on? And that's like a bit blasphemous, I think, to like that kind of, um, that culture. Uh, but yeah, it's just not, I mean, even, even like I went pretty far down that path and even was like, that piece of it is not like, that's not where I want to live. Um, my point is like, there just are so many places to go. It's so true. And it's also really beautiful to be in a place where you decide I'm not, I'm not um, passionate enough about this to make it a career. Yeah. And then you might be a lot more likely to keep being creative and making beautiful things. If I you don't totally agree. Spoil it for yourself. I totally agree. I had to come to a really tough decision because from the time I was 17, 18, and then going into my undergrad, and even through my master's degree, there has always been a push um, for me to have a bigger career than I did. Teachers, coaches, I've yeah. been 
I've been afforded some of the most amazing opportunities, but I've always had to balance it with the decisions that I made about my family. Right. And, and what you really want. Like and what you, you really want. Yeah. The hardest thing was coming to terms with the idea that if my life had taken a different path, I would have loved to be at the Met or yeah. in Europe or things like that. But there was a couple big things that I had to realize for myself. And one of the things came to me just kind of out of the blue. And I remember telling someone, the world has so many Sopranos, but my children only have one mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I sacrificed a lot. and yeah. And I think that there was a balance of being okay that I had the skill enough that I probably could have had a bigger career than I did. Um, but I chose to go a different way. There was also a really, really special experience that happened. Um, I had decided to help a friend of mine who was a pianist do an audition in New York. And so I flew out there just to be her singer so she could audition for this job. And while I was there, you know, we go and do a lot of auditions in New York and things like that. And someone started talking to me on the train and you, they were clearly from out of town and I was too. And they just asked, why are you here? What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm here for an audition. And they looked at me, not knowing what I do at all. You know, I yeah. could have been an actor. I could have been you yeah. know, whatever. And they just looked at me with such excitement and said, oh, are you here to make it big? Uh, and for the first time in my life, I had such calm and such peace. And I looked at her and I said, no. Yeah. And it was awesome. That's it was hard awesome. stuff. It was yeah. so hard. And I was in well into my 30s by that point. Yeah. And something really came to me that I said, I as an artist need to be working at a high level myself yeah. with my own music and my own artistry. And I really love working with high level collaborators, yeah. whether it's a company, whether it's a pianist, whether it's other musicians. And then the venue doesn't matter. Totally. The venue I doesn't matter. That. And and every and yeah, everybody's different and, and really reflecting it in those ways is so valuable. I think that's really smart and I think it's good to articulate it and say it. Um one thing I talk about sometimes with my students is like, you know, think about what kind of a city you might want to live in. Oh, think isn't about that what the kind truth? of a house you might want to live in. Mm-hmm. How important is it to you to know your neighbors? Right. How important is it to you to have kids? You know, like, and those, those kinds of things that you really have to think about them. It's so true. And make your decisions about your career. But there's, you know, the beauty, the beauty of it is there's always a way to always. kind of like get a balance that feels pretty good. Always. It doesn't mean you're not striving to, it doesn't mean you're not striving and it doesn't mean you're not, um, working to maintain a balance mm-hmm. that you like mm-hmm. it's doesn't mean that there's going to be like a straight shot but and have you yeah. ever had you've, you've probably experienced this where that balance becomes totally slanted on one side or the other yeah when I came back for my master's I was 30 I started my master's when I was 30 and my youngest was getting ready to go into kindergarten so I had waited yeah. until he was old enough and I remember sitting at UNT. I mean, even my audition was so funny to me. And I just was kind of sitting there going, this school is so big. No one is going to know who I am. I'll probably do this whole two years and I'll just fly under the radar. Nobody will know who I am or anything like that. That is not how it turned out. Yeah. (laughs) 
But I just oh remember gosh. thinking that I I didn't know where my talent stood, having been gone for so long. Yeah. And I didn't know how much they would use me. And I I really had to think, would you be okay doing a master's degree, not doing a single role or yeah. not getting what you wanted or yeah. things like that? And what did you think? Um, I really, I, I really said, I'm so, I'm so hungry to be back yeah. and I'm so hungry to have that opportunity to be singing again, um, that I was okay with that. Yeah. I was okay with that. And then and that's not what happened. That is not what happened at all. <laughs> you were in high demand I was, <laughs> so quickly. I mean, so quickly, it just turned a, a different way, that's but so we all have that like where do we fit in where does my voice where does my talent fit in how am I going to stack up I feel like that's something that even just this year I have been really struggling with because I think you know one thing for me I've talked about this a bit but I always wanted to be a teacher I mean I love teaching I always wanted to be in academia I thought I thought that I would like lead a vocal jazz program somewhere that's kind of what I I still think you will yeah (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So when I got that job at BYU, I was really, I really felt like, um, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And the weird thing is I was so good at it, but it was so miserable. That is so tough. Yeah. That is so tough. Yeah. So I think like the four years that I was there, thank you for saying that. Cause it really like, it was it was crisis in like a couple of different ways. And also my mom was dying at that time. And right. I was also having a faith crisis at that time. What wasn't going on, <laughs> but what wasn't I battling at the yeah, time? But during those four years, I really felt like, I don't know if that like original goal was even right. Cause I don't like having a boss, you know, I, I don't know. That... There's something about the bureaucracy that like be me so mad. That that is something to get used to. Yeah. I always say, I always say, as a musician, especially as a gig musician, we have projects that we work with people. Sometimes as short as a weekend, if you're doing, you know, orchestral stuff. Yeah. Um, but for opera, you might be with them three to six weeks. You yeah. know, sometimes even longer. Yeah. And I always tell my husband, he's such a good businessman, and he's really wonderful, but not a musician at all. And I always found it so fascinating that he had to always figure out how to how to be a good colleague. Yeah. And if, in the long run, where as I said, wow. As a gig singer, it's really everybody, novel. <laughs> everybody can can behave themselves and be kind yeah. for a week to six weeks. Yeah. And then truly, if I did not get along with you, if you were rude, if you were mean, I don't have to talk to you ever yeah, it's again. Over. Yeah. It's over. And moving into academia, you do have to start thinking about those yeah. long-term relationships, yeah. how you can be a good colleague how you can interact with someone that might have different ideas yeah. for what you should do and how totally. you should do it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very weird different. Because I actually like really like that kind of thing and yeah. I think I'm good at it. Um, I love people. And yeah. I think I really genuinely, like it is built into my being to think creatively about what is lovely about people. I agree. Thank you. I, I think agree. I really, like, and it's something that I, I feel like I can be proud of it because I didn't, like it just is. Like yeah. it just, it just like yeah. is true. So like, I actually really enjoy the process of figuring out what I love about someone, figuring out like what we can offer each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the thing that, so that, 
I mean, there were some like specific personnel things in my little department that were hard oh, for really? me. Just I was I was like the only girl in the department and <laughs> it was hard. It was just that like all these tough. older men who I felt like were always talking about how they could see my knees and I was like don't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Just your Victorian ankles. <laughs> yeah, I just really felt like, come on, seriously. Um, I can see your but knees. the thing that bothered me more was just like the disorganization. Like I just felt like, come on, let's like. I will say <laughs> that is not the case in the voice area. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And again, like that's so specific. And maybe it's like, I, maybe I would love this kind of job in it, in the right kind of group. I think that there's something, this is something I've had to learn and realize that I was not good at. I'm really good at the artistic side and I'm really, I'm really good at trying to help someone discover what they're yeah. good at and how to develop that. Yeah. But organization, tasks, yeah. you know, getting things in on time, organizing big groups of people, yeah. both back in Texas and here and things like that. I was not good at that. And yeah. I'm still working on it. I'm still trying <laughs> to get and better on that. Or you're department head, right? You're not like, here. It, okay. At Texas Women's, I was. Yeah. I was the um, vocal coordinator. So we, I ran and managed... Um, I ran and managed all the adjuncts. I yeah. took care of the... That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and and hired and maintained um, the pianist and the pianist schedules. Cool. And, Things like that. So it was, it was one a of those real things. Experience. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That. But I think, uh, and this might be a blanket statement, but that's one of the things. If I see a student that is organized, and loves to, loves to, you know, make a spreadsheet. Oh man, yeah. that is such a gift <laughs> yeah. in our area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm one of those people. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> It's awe-inspiring to me. Yeah. I mean, it's I funny just... It's, the people who are good at that, it's just like a given. It it's really is. It's not hard. It's just like... And we think it's like pulling teeth, you yeah. know, for us. Like, you would like me to do what? Yeah. Like, you would like me... You would like me to teach on Zoom? What? Yeah. You know? Well, I hate that, too. Um, it loses all that beautiful human element that I love. Yes. Um, but yeah. But anyway, all this to say... Even if you find what you love, like you said, that balance is just, it's your, it's a constant, it's a constant, um, it's a creative process, which is why yeah. I talk on this podcast all the time about like, I'm so much more interested in developing our creativity than I am even in kind of like talking generally about the arts because our careers are a creative process in and of themselves. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, so I want to ask you also about, um, like a little pivot here. You've had some beautiful, um, validation, like all throughout your story. Like, yes. What is like, what is that like? Like, how does it feel like to you? It's like a stupid question. Maybe, no, but... not a stupid question. I think it's one of those things that you see in hindsight and sometimes it takes a while removed from the situation to really look at and appreciate. I feel like I'm a, an appreciative person and a grateful person, yeah. but the more that I am removed in years from those situations and really see how special some of those things were yeah. and how one person taking a chance on me opened the doors for 10 other th projects yeah. or whatever the case may be. 
um, I had a really interesting experience one time that I was um, doing a competition in New York and it's so frantic when you try to like find the venue, where are you going? You don't know the pianist. You like, you just have to try to do your best. And I was sitting outside um, talking to another, another soprano and she looked at me with just such bitterness and said, you know, this thing is rigged, right? You know that all the teachers from Juilliard just call the judges and tell them who their students are. Oh. And it's just da-da-da-da. Gross. And it could have been that that way. I don't know. But at the same time, I looked at her and I said, I have to be so careful about how I feel about that stuff because so many people on my end have made that call for me yeah. to get a job or to vouch for me, yeah. or to say, hey, you should really hire Jenny. She's really great to work with, or something like that. Yeah. And so I, it was funny to watch her watch her struggle with that, and yeah. watch her struggle with that idea that, that some of this might be political. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course it is. And that's why it's so important to be kind yeah. and generous with people and, and just try to... But I thought about that. I thought about all the wonderful people who have not only validated me, but kind of thrown me into the next pond. I was just yeah. talking with my students about this because at BYU particularly, they have... It's such a competitive program to get in. Yeah. Um, to think that we only have nine spots. We have yeah. nine spots a year to if in the classical voice area. They have to work so hard to get in. I don't know if I ever told you this because I might have been too embarrassed, but when I so I I auditioned, you were my teacher when I auditioned. I remember. Yeah. Do you remember what happened to me? Yeah, so didn't it you auditioned for the voice program, but yeah. we didn't even know that commercial music existed. I don't know if it even did, but but the thing that happened is I got a letter from BYU saying you didn't get in and you were like our 300th choice and you'll never what? be a musician. Yeah. I got a letter that oh, said that does not happen anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah, well, I know, I know, I know that it also has happened specifically to at least two other people who are now like teaching at the collegiate level. <laughs> You're joking. No. Did you keep that letter? No, I definitely <laughs> threw it. I mean, I wish I would have because, but I think I was so, but yeah, I mean, I 300th choice. Well, it, the letter specifically, it had a number. Like it was like, we had this many people audition and you were like this far down on the list. We would not do that. And it said something not. like, it, it, it said like, don't even try auditioning next year. You're never getting in. Like you need Whoa. to have a different career. Um, and that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I went to UNT. I mean, I was always kind of planning on going there, sure. but getting that letter was very like, but I don't think I maybe even didn't, I think I didn't even, I didn't show my parents. No way. I think I, I think I cried for like a couple days and then like threw it in the garbage. Oh, well, like I, I probably have, shredded it up and I put it in the garbage. I think it's still at my parents' house. Um, I auditioned, um, at, uh, not to rat out these institutions, these poor <laughs> institutions, but, um, I auditioned at, um. Um, Northern Arizona. Yeah, and didn't get in. It's so crazy. Yeah, That's didn't get so in. So crazy. And, and I, I had the letter like, we don't have room for you. You know, yeah, kind of things like that. So but weird. it was so funny. Uh, my freshman year, I didn't even think about U of A. You know, down yeah. in Tucson. But one of the teachers came up, and I did a master class for him. And yeah. my teacher out in California said, "This is the girl we stole in Arizona. We we stole this girl from Arizona from you." And he looked right at me and he said, we would have given you a lot of money. <laughs> wow. You know, and yeah. it's just so funny well, how that happens. It is. And it's, that's, it's, I like, I mean, it's a sad story, but it's also like, 
Then I went to UNT and got a scholarship there. It's so true. And so, I, I ended up with, you know, I did the same thing. I ended up uh, um, at a conservatory in Northern California and they offered me a lot of money, a lot of yeah. money. And, and it was so funny and ironic how, how that happens. I don't yeah. know if I just sang badly that yeah, day. Or I don't the, know. The people were, all, they needed their lunch break. Like, Maybe. Cause you know, I, um, I took, when I was at BYU that freshman year that I decided to go to UNT before I even I was remember. there. I remember. That's so like sweet of you that you, I like that time in my life is so foggy. Um, but, uh, I, I paid, I took lessons from Anna Moy, who was Anna Braithwaite back then. Okay. And to help me get ready to, for my UNT audition, cause mm. I had to audition classically there. Um, cause that's how they did it. You had to they get into did. the classical department yeah. and then also jazz. So I was taking lessons from her to help me prepare. And she said something to me like, why didn't you audition for our program? And I was like, wah, wah. I did <laughs> and you hated me. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, I, cause I think she wasn't, and like no hard feelings. Like yeah. I love Anna and like we talk still. Yeah. Um, and she was a really important person in my life. Um, but like she was in my audition. How funny is that? It's really weird. It's so funny. And that that speaks to like this, you know, when we talk about resilience, how important it is. It's so important. When we talk about validation, like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't know that I've had that much of it because I've had a lot more of that other kind of thing where it's like, hey, BYU, remember how you told me I would never be a musician (laughs) and and then you hired me? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Irony. I've had a lot more of that kind of thing where it's like, you know, it doesn't even feel like I told you so because it's just like, it made me so have, sad that you rejected me in oh, that I, way. That, I, I think every musician has these stories. So, yeah. um, right after I had my third baby, I was in Arizona. I think it was probably right around the time I was teaching you. So yes. I just had my third baby and I was like losing it. I was just going so crazy. And so I told my husband, hey, I saw that Arizona Opera is doing chorus auditions. And so I auditioned and I made it into the opera chorus. And that was such a good thing. I didn't it was, it was not a big brain type of thing. I just yeah. learned the chorus music and I had so much fun and it was so good. And, and, um, it, while uh, during my time there, they said, we're going to do compromario roles or like secondary role auditions when it should come out. So I had started to take lessons just really briefly with this lady there. And, and so and this was after your bachelor's. Yeah. Yes. Okay. After my bachelor's. Yeah. yeah. So I, went into the audition and it was the first time that I was going to take, um, Romeo and Juliet aria, Je veux vivre, um, in public. And it's a tough aria. It's a really tough aria. So if anybody's listening, don't take a new aria to a big audition, just (laughs) sing it for other people first. But, um, anyway, I walked into the audition and I think that I, I, it was such a blur. It was, I, I rarely do a really bad audition, but this kind of bombed. Yeah. And, um, I think the pianist turned two pages at once. I think I flipped verses, oh, no. like yeah. all sorts of stuff that happened. And it just so happened that they were trying to hire a new, a new chorus master there at Arizona. And, and after we were done, um, the chorus master that they were interviewing looked at me and said, do you think that this is what your teacher wants you to do? Cause this was really rough. And I had never, 
ever <gasps> had somebody give me instant feedback like that. Yeah. I also kind of connect that to, to American Idol. My auditions changed Ugh. when American Idol came American on. American Idol has ruined so many things I for our it, business. I really think so. I think that it kind of gave people permission to say whatever they wanted in the moment yes. about your singing. Yes. And so. And it made it really result based in a way that is unproductive. I agree. Stupid. I agree. So it was really funny that this guy kind of ripped into me in the moment and clearly I did not get hired um, for yeah. any of that. Okay. Fast forward, I don't know, six or seven years. And I had been hired by the Dallas Opera to do a family concert with their orchestra. And it was going to be of this really great fun, um, fun thing. And I was supposed to sing Caronome and I was supposed to sing Cheva Vivre, this one that five right. or six years earlier, totally crashed and burned. And yeah. now I was getting hired to sing that right. aria, right? Right. So I walk into it and everyone just talks, oh, where are you from? Who do you know? Like, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And you kind of do that small talk. Well, the guy that was going to play for me suddenly say, suddenly said, well, I just ended my, um, I just ended my uh, time with Arizona Opera as the chorus master. And my ears just went, <laughs> you know, because here I was. I was going to walk into this rehearsal singing the exact same aria that this man, and I put two and two together. I asked him when he was there and when he got hired and I I realized that it was the same man. Oh my gosh. And he didn't recognize me. Hallelujah. Um, He didn't recognize me, but we walked into the rehearsal and I just felt this dread. I was like, I'm singing the exact same song. Because it, like I was saying, it doesn't feel like I told you so. It just feels like, I know. It was so funny. So anyway, we start the rehearsal with the conductor and he was playing the piano just so we could kind of go over stuff before we went in with the orchestra. And after I got done with the aria, he put his hands across his chest and he just went, you are so fresh. Oh my gosh. I hate it. I hate it. And he just went on and on about how I was born to sing this. I got hired after that. I got hired to do their young artist program. And I worked with him every week for a year. And he didn't know. Did you tell him? I told him at the end of the year. I told him at the end of the year because we had become friends. And we had, you know, we had worked together for a year. Oh, gosh. And I just remember, you're so fresh. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) But it it was so, I mean, talk about validation, like in the moment, you know. That would throw me for such a loop. It was so funny. And I just remember when I finally got brave enough to tell him this story, I said, you know, I was there when you were interviewing and I really crashed and burned and you were pretty yeah. harsh. And it was what really did he funny. Say, did he remember or was he no. just like, it's so interesting. No, he didn't remember. Well, I was going to say before, yeah, it's really, we, we have to strike a fine balance of being so resilient, taking any validation Anything. with so much grace. Yes. Um, not attaching to it too much because if you true. attach to the validation too much, then you also have to attach to criticism. That's true. So it's really like a. That's true. It's a it's a fine and careful line. <laughs> it's a fine fine yeah. line, <laughs> right? <laughs> Between love and waste of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I will talk you through Avenue Q now. That's we're in this segment of the podcast where that's I right. I do a dramatic narration of Avenue Q. I love it. Um, that's what that's from, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, Jenny, what else would you like to talk about? Anything on your mind? I don't know. I 
It's all sorts of good things. We had something happen at BYU this week that just really shook me a little bit. And yeah. I was so impressed. And I, I've been really interested in musicians and mental health and yeah. just kind of been on this kick about trying to find how I can get my students to talk about the things that they struggle with mm-hmm. and be open about what they struggle with. And so I invited one of my friends um, who... Um, who has such an amazing background. She started off as an organ performance major, came to North Texas, was going to start the master's in organ performance and said, yep, I'm burned out. And, you know, so she ended up, she's a beautiful soprano too, sings early music, things like that, and is hired all over the DFW area. She decided to go back to school um, for therapy and she became a therapist. And now gives wonderful talks about musicians and mental health. And so I invited her to come and speak to our students, to the whole voice area, the voice department. And she said something to me because she actually took lessons with me for a short time, but she wanted to do so much early music and she was singing at such a high level. I said, let me, let me see if I can find somebody else for you to work with that really specializes in that. So we didn't work a ton together, but one of the things that she told me that has literally been running through my head the entire week. We talked a lot about toxic relationships in music, Mm -hmm. whether power struggles, things like that, and how to handle those. And whether you speak up in the moment or whether you walk away. And if you do walk away, do you have to feel like you're sacrificing your opportunities in the future, you know, and things like that. But when talking about teaching and studio teaching and things like that she said something that literally sunk into my bones and she said that we can expect excellence and provide safety in the same space yeah I thought that was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard because sometimes we think that we have to be so perfect Mm -hmm. when we go into lessons or into a performing situation or things like that And I just thought that is the kind of teacher I want to be. I want to be, because I've struggled with that, because oftentimes some of the teachers that get the best results out of their students are not very nice. They're taskmasters. Taskmasters. And I am not that way. I don't respond well to it either. I also, I agree. It will make me totally fall apart and I can't do anything. Yeah. And that was a bit of a validation for me, for her to say that excellence and safety can exist in the same space. That we can be, we can allow our students to fail. We can allow our students to excel. We can do that for ourselves too. And to find places where it is okay to mess up or to not be totally on your game and things like that. I remember, I remember in my undergrad one time, our choir director, so sweet. I just loved him. And he was so fun and so kooky. And there was one day that I came in and I was not doing well. And I was really struggling. And we were sight reading this piece. And I was just really, really struggling. And he pulled me aside and he said, Jenny, do you know what the definition of a professional is? And I was waiting for this huge mm-hmm. lecture. Like, mm-hmm. they're prepared and they right. and they study and they do all this stuff. And I was like... Yeah. 
yes, but I'm sure that you're going to tell me. Yeah. You know, and he looked straight at me and he said, the definition of a professional is that on your worst day, you still sound better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I just cried and cried. Yeah. It was so sweet. And so I don't know, that's been on my mind a lot lately about how do we find this balance? Kind of even going back to what you were talking about, yeah. you know, as far as, as a child, how do we balance this yeah. with our children? If we want to develop art, if we want to develop music, where we want to push them, but also allow them to feel okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a huge question. Yeah. It's a huge, like, I don't know, like project, like, like a endeavor. Um, and it's ongoing. I think about this stuff a ton too, maybe because, you know, a lot because my family situation was so bad when I was growing up that. And that still blows my mind. <laughs> Thank it you. blows Thanks my mind. I mean, because you walked into my house so put together. You were one Thank of you. the most mature high school students I ever saw. Ever. It's so crazy to hear you say that because, like, I, yeah, I think I really did kind of, like, learn how to switch gears quickly. Oh, Actually, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I just wrote an essay about this that I'm going to I'm gonna post right after we do this interview. Excellent. So. <laughs> um, so I have been thinking about this as well. But yeah, I mean, during that time that I was taking lessons from you, I had such bad anxiety. I was fainting during school. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Yeah, just passing out in the middle of the day. <laughs> so, but I what I was going to say is like my music lessons were the place that I felt safe. So that's probably why you saw me that way. That's wild. Um, and so I think I take this really seriously as a teacher of music and of, of art and of creativity because I always just try to assume that my students are like me. Like, <laughs> what's the worst case? Like, if they're not, then yeah. they're getting love everywhere. That's right. And if they ha if they are like me, where, like, they really need for those things that, about them that are special to be seen and valued. Of course. Then, like, I know for sure that they're getting that with me or, you know, I'm going to do my very best. So I think about these things a ton as well. And, and I always come back to the same idea that, like, we just, we have to be so creative and we have to be so present. Yeah. Because what's true for one person isn't going to be true for another. Oh, yes. Where one student needs maybe some like really careful, tough love and kind of like, hey, you need a reality check, but I'm going to like look you in the eye That's while right. I give you this reality That's check. Right. Um, and some of our students need for us to be like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, so what if you bomb? Like, you're lovely and valuable and mm -hmm. who cares? Um. Yeah, it is It is something that I wish we were all talking about more, and it's maybe one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, well, I think that it's just, I think one of the things I've been extremely blessed with, the teachers that I've had, extremely blessed, but I know not everybody has. Yeah. And I was thinking about this when she was talking about this whole idea. I wonder if we as teachers have ever been taught how to be really amazing at something um, without having that push, like a firm push. And so I wonder if we as teachers sometimes don't have, uh, like I said, my teachers have all been really, really wonderful. I've never felt that power struggle. I've never felt, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, which I now know is such a rarity yeah, and so special that I had that experience. Um, but 
I wonder in certain situations with, you know, conductors, administrators, like you can kind of go down the line. Where is that balance of how much you push a student and how much as a teacher that I do not want to break you? You know, I don't want to break you, but at the same time. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to. It's unethical for me to be like, you're fine. That's right. You're not fine. Exactly. I I completely agree. And, And so I... I'm still um, searching for that balance. I also am very much, I think, I'm a really silly person. Yeah. I'm really I silly. I love that about you. Oh, thank you. Um, but oftentimes this opera singer is like, that's it's very serious. Just, yes. And I just, <laughs> and so I, um, I really try to think like, okay, do I, I, do I need to be this person? Yeah. Do I need to be, you know, someone that is, has their full hair and makeup done all the time yeah. and that they've got everything together and they Red wear high heels. heels. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they wear heels to everything. Yeah. I'm so not like yeah. that. Yeah. I'm so not like that. And, and so I, I hope, and I, that's my intention is I hope that my students see that, you can be really passionate and really knowledgeable about mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and be a silly person. Yeah. yeah. You do not have to be, you do not have to be serious all the time. Yeah. But uh, you can be serious about yeah. your love in your, your art making and your music totally. and things like that. I and love that. I love, I love nothing more than being surprised by people. Oh and yes. That's one thing like, I know you know this. It's such a beautiful thing about North Texas. Like you said, it's so big. It's so big. The <laughs> thing that I love so much about having had this experience of going to such a giant school is you just get to see people being such badasses at such different things. It's true. And it's kind of going totally like, you true. can be that and you can be that and mm-hmm. you can be that. And all of these things are stunning and like staggering it's true it was so funny i had a musicology class that met at the same time that the one o'clock band did and it bled through the wall of our literally we were serenaded by the one o'clock every day yeah every day while we were while we were talking about seventh or 18th century french music yeah you know doing something completely different But I, I would sit there and just look, do we appreciate, do we understand that just the music that is bleeding through the wall, the sound is bleeding through yeah. the wall? And yeah, that was such a fun, a fun thing. Yeah. Whatever you wanted to do there, yeah. you could find a niche. Yeah, you can, like I took an Indian percussion class. Yeah, amazing. It, bl- it was amazing. way over my head. I mean, I, I sat in that class with my eyes really wide kind of going like how are you keeping track of any of that <laughs> um but yeah i mean like yeah. that that kind of it that whether or not your individual teachers are sharing this you know i know a lot of people have those kind of negative experiences with yeah. some of the jazz department teachers there but just the simple fact of the culture being so expansive it's true it's an automatic there's an automatic like underpinning of growth mindset and like a lack of a scarcity mentality i agree that's well, built in and i think also having a having a, a a program that is that big it kind of forces you to find a way to stand out yeah that yeah you could go and kind of slide under the radar and get your degrees done or yeah. whatnot but if you want to excel it's such a great, and I think it's a great environment. A lot of people think that it's just really competitive and oh, that that I can loved be, it. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And that you can, you I don't know, know that I really like really stood out there. I mean, I must've, I think about this sometimes now and again, like my mental health was so, 
I was dealing with stuff, you know, like I was building up to stuff uh, during that time. And but I must have stood out enough to be like the master's fellow person. But I I felt like I learned so much from my peers, like, Mm -hmm. you know, having the luxury of some of the world's best faculty, having the luxury of these amazing peers. It's true. I felt like. I was in an embarrassment of riches. Like I did who too. needs attention when like <laughs> you have I, like this playground of like I know it's really true. Brilliance everywhere. And I think about, time. especially in the voice area, how many opportunities they provided for their students. Yeah. And I think BYU does the same thing, which I just feel really, really grateful for. But yeah. I think the I th- the opportunities that that UNT brought in were some of the reasons I got hired yeah. at other jobs, right. you know, to be able yeah. to work with the composers they were bringing in, yeah. to be able to work with... It's a global-minded... It's true. Um, ...culture. Yeah. Well, I yeah. wanted to say one other quick thing about yeah. this mental health stuff you were talking about. Do you love Brene Brown? I've heard... I have not started to dig into... Um, uh, well, her work is all about this kind of stuff. And, yeah. And she has this one book called um, Braving the Wilderness, and she defines... The wilderness is like this uncomfortable, like this place where you kind of have to like, there aren't really rules of like trying to find, like, I think this type of thing of like balancing the pressure, um, with like total grace, um, that's like the wilderness. Oh, Um, yes, I would agree. (laughs) I was listening to one of her, I was listening to her podcast yesterday and, um, I just, I've only listened to like two episodes. I've read all of her books, but the podcast is new and, uh, she was, I was remembering, she talks about this thing that she calls, um, she says like, um, strong back, soft front, wild heart, which is like being, being strong in your back. And I think she means things like standing up for your integrity, like Mm -hmm. not bowing to peer pressure, like having these kind of this strong back, this totally soft and vulnerable Mm -hmm. front. Mm -hmm. And then like the this wildness I love that. um which is i think it's like a perfect like i try to remember that i i had forgotten that exact phrase she she talks about it in her book but i just was listening to it yesterday but i'd forgotten that phrase but i definitely try to take that on my good days i try to take <laughs> that type of a of a a balancing um into my teaching and into yeah. my musicianship and Anyway, it sounds like you're doing that too. I'm, I'm trying. I just, I started to realize very quickly that, especially when it came to mental health and probably because I did have such supportive parents and such wonderful opportunities along the way, it's not that I didn't have struggle or, you know, um, those Those kinds of things. Yeah, Yeah. sure. But I'm starting to realize almost in a way how protected I was yeah. in, in this industry compared to some people's experience. Yeah. And I never want to be a person that because I didn't experience that, then I discount what right. you are going through. Well, I was thinking about that woman at your audition who said, you know, it's all political. It's rigged. Yeah. Like, I'm so curious what she was going through because like that's there's you don't you don't get that cynical out of nowhere. What was what was what was really fascinating to me um, was when she went into the room and she went to go sing her arias. It was not great. Yeah. It wasn't really great singing, and there was some technical things that really were holding her back. Yeah, and then my heart sank. Yeah, my heart sank because 
getting to that kind of competition, getting to that point requires so much effort, so much sacrifice and things like that. But somewhere along the way, someone did not say, hey, we got to fix this. Yeah. We got to fix this in your singing or we have to, or maybe she was trying to fix it and was kind of in the middle of trying to fix it, you know, stuff like that. But to have uh, my heart broke, and I don't know if this was her story or not, but I just was thinking if I had technical things, really glaring technical things that were wrong with my singing and nobody told me, and then it turned into, well, I'm not getting hired. I'm not getting gigs. I'm not, it must be rigged. Yeah. That's what my heart broke yeah. for her. That if somebody was not being honest with being her, honest, taking the time to yeah, and I don't know her story. Well, I've never met her. I never I think you know. That does so. happen though? Like people will throw certain students in the garbage because they kind of just think mm-hmm. like they're never going to quite get it. Mm-hmm. And it, instead of thinking like they might be able to get it, it's going to be hard, but we can do it. It's true. Um, yeah, and that's also that like that's creativity. That's yeah. like that kind of like. In the moment, like looking at a human who's in your little studio, um, and like it's it's a gift and the and the burden of being a teacher. Yeah, like taking someone and kind of going like, okay, how do what do we do? Um, uh, it's it's really true, and I've really found I've really found that if you can establish, if you can establish that place of love that they yeah. know that you're looking out for their interests and know that, that you love them and you want the best for them, yeah. then you can have those hard conversations. Yeah. You totally. can have those hard conversations of trying to fix technique or trying to fix something that's happening with a voice. And yeah. I've seen it happen. I've seen the change. I've seen the work that yeah. can go in. And, and yeah, I, I never want to be, you know, a teacher that's just kind of right off somebody. Yeah. Um, because you like, because you kind of don't want to put in that work, yeah. Well, yeah, that that, and you know, a lot of people. When I stepped away from music and was having a lot of children, I was written off really fast. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I got engaged at really? York, Texas. Yeah, like I, I was... got that ring on my finger, and then it was like she's nothing. No That's how it felt to way. me. I was halfway through my master's. Oh wow! Well, it was it was interesting. We had we kind of had this you know, kind of too many things lined up. I had moved away from the area where I had really created a lot of connection. Then we, we moved several times and then, you know, it just wasn't economical for me to be out there. And, you know, because building a career in opera actually takes a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah. And I was never going to, I was never, I never wanted to be in a position where I was taking from our family budget in order to try to pursue this. Yeah. So I was really trying to be cautious about it and careful about it and things like that. But, um, yeah, I just remember, I, I remember I could see in, I, I almost felt sometimes that I could see in, in those around me that had, had, had invested so much in me. I almost could see the light in their eyes go out when they realized that I wasn't going to have like an international career, that I was going to do something else. And that kind of letdown and watching your teachers, you know, invest so much in you. And, but I don't think, I don't think that they ever realized where I might be in 10 years, you know, that I did step away for eight or nine years. Yeah. 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 But I, I just remember, and I, I often wondered, I don't know if this was their mindset at all, but. I often wondered if I get excited about a student, yeah. if they're going to go out and do big things in the yeah. world and then I'm their teacher, I'm connected to that. Right. And I often wondered if they kind of saw 
that I could be that one for them. I could yeah. be that student that was that was getting hired and that was yeah. doing big things. And right. um, so I always struggled with, you know, we're usually people pleasers. And so I always struggled yeah, with the idea of... That's a hard burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think it's uh, I think it's exciting to see that. Uh, I also it's so nice to have that journey that now I can tell students that yeah. if you do step away, it is not the end of the world. Totally, there's so many ways to there's do things. So many ways to yeah. come back. There's so many ways to jump back in and and things like that because we just kind of feel if you get off that trajectory, it's done. Yeah, it's just done. And yeah. So to be that person that can say. Yeah, I did step away for eight yeah. or nine years, and I did what I what I I loved and taking care of my children yeah. and you know things like that. But yeah, and who's to say like if you had like gone for it in the beginning, you maybe would have burned out because your exactly. soul wanted to be in a different place. Exactly. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I think that's that growth mindset, like kind of creative thinking. Like you, you just have you can't um, put anybody in any kind of box. I agree. No, I agree. Well, I'm glad that you came to Arizona. Yay! (laughs) And then I'm glad that you came to Texas. And then I'm glad that you came to Utah. It's so fun. It's so fun. I'm just following you. You know this, right? It's like, it's such a, it's so random. It is really random. But it's really like beautiful. Like I remember like seeing your face in the building that day and just being like, oh, Jenny. I just was, I literally was sitting there. I was ready. I mean, did you if, know I was there at that time? I did. I somehow did know that you were, were still there, but I thought you were done. I thought you were done. Well, I and just finished like, my bachelor's. Yeah, so, so I thought that you were going to go do something else, yeah. you know, so I didn't know where oh. you were. But I literally was walking in to take a theory placement <laughs> exam. And you were oh. like, grabby. I don't know. It was so great. It was so great. And then to watch you... Watch you grow and blossom, and you. you know. I hope I'm so not even close to done. I I, I hope feel so. underbaked. Yep, I feel like that all the time. <laughs> I feel like that all the time. I could and use a little more time. <laughs> we'll probably be still saying that when we're sixty. I hope so too. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. What if if not? Then what are we doing? Oh, that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. Oh my gosh, what a gift. Um, so I love funny. it. I love talking to you. I love that you're here. I'm sad it's a <laughs> pandemic because otherwise I think we would hang out a little bit more. Well, I live close, so it's okay. good. <laughs> well, I always ask everybody at the end, um, on this day, what's your dream collaboration? <gasps> Who'd you love to work with? Oh my goodness. And you don't have to pick just one person. You can assemble a team if you Dead want. Dead or alive? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, Oh my gosh, that changes from day to day. And that's why I say on this day, today. On this yeah, because everyone's like, Bleh. but today, who's speaking to your heart today? Oh, who's speaking to my heart today? This might sound completely cliche, but I, I would love to talk to Mozart. I would love to talk to him and he's collaborate with him. And he's so kooky. Person. Yeah. He's so kooky. And <laughs> just the, the amount of social norms that he broke. Yeah, the amount of uh, just I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do at yeah. all cost, and I don't know. I I don't know about you, but being around someone that is just so brilliant is completely inspiring. Yeah, because I don't feel I feel like I'm really really good at following directions. Yeah, and doing what's on the page. Yeah, and um, but to have somebody who has that much inspiration and. Yeah. 
just kind of oozing from them. Yeah. I also find it so fascinating in working with living composers, modern composers. I always tell my students, we don't have the option to say to Mozart or whoever, what would you like me to do here? How do you want me to sing this? Yeah. And, and I do now and I get a chance to do that, but I would, I have some specific questions. Listen, Mozart, uh, Amadeus. I know. Wolfgang. (laughs) What is this? Listen, Wolfie, help me. What do you want here, bro? (laughs) I, well, I had, um, I had been assigned to sing, uh, I was asked to sing on a, on a recital with Jake Heggie when he came to UNT and he gave me a crazy aria, a crazy aria that he had written and it was so hard to learn. It was really, really tough. And he walked in, we had already worked a little bit together, so I knew him a little bit, but he walked into the rehearsal room. I mean, he just so sweetly, so cautiously looked, Jenny, how's it coming? How's it it going? And I looked at him and I said, it's really hard. How dare you have written this for me? It's really tricky and it's really hard. And he was so gracious and he just looked at me. He's like, I know who wrote that crap, you know? But there's so many of these. Yeah. I mean, there's so many roles and there's so many, you know, arias that I, I love just that you're like, like imagining Mozart being like, like yeah. maybe being like that and being like, hilarious, huh? You have to sing it, not me. Well, I mean, there's a story about Smanye from Cozy and the the opening of it is Smanye, the comedy, you know, da, yeah. da, da, da. but it's quite a bit higher. Than yeah. That, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> But he wrote it because the woman, when she would, when she, he wrote it in such a way that the, the mezzo that was singing it, when she would go high, would throw her head back like a chicken. Yeah. So he wrote these enormous leaps. So she would have to go, (laughs) (laughs) a little choker. He was, he would write, I mean, he just, if he didn't like the soprano, he would write crazy stuff yeah. impossible stuff which now we are just expected to toss right. off it's like in the like mm-hmm. yeah. it's in the rep it's, it's in the in canon the, yeah. yeah but he wrote it because he was frustrated at a woman oh gosh, you know he so, wrote it in such yeah. a way that was so difficult yeah you know and so i i love that yeah sass i yeah. love that idea <laughs> that like and to be so intelligent for that lady that he not only thought that she looked like a chicken when she threw her head yeah. back or whatnot, he actually put a word that that would have like a, a it's a um smile ka ka yeah he puts the he the made her do ka. a squawk yeah yes <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Well, it's just so good. I wish that you could collaborate with Mozart. We'd bring him here okay. to this time so that there's not as much of a misogyny issue. That's fine. And wigs and all. <laughs> yeah, wigs and all. Yeah. Wigs and all. And then you can talk to him with like your full confidence and he won't be like, he won't. Um... He probably would still think I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, maybe he would. But everyone would be like, you're the idiot. <laughs> Jenny's amazing. <laughs> I just love that though. I love that. If you can, if you can write in your music, your wit. Yeah. And you can put it into yeah. whether it's poking that's fun at where somebody. That's where it's or, fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that too. And I love you. Oh, and you. will you love tell you everybody too? where to find your things? 
I don't have any things. <laughs> Where can they just, I, they can go on YouTube and type in your name. Yes, and... you can type in. Now, there is another Jennifer Youngs that was an actress that was on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Okay. So if you want to um, <laughs> look up Jennifer Youngs Soprano and okay. you'll find, you'll find some Great. things. And yeah. you're t- currently teaching at BYU. And if someone lives here, they maybe could snag some lessons with you sure, in the absolutely. off semester or something. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. It was oh, so good to catch you. up. I loved it. Thank you. Such a joy. So fun. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.